Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you're back and ready to study the Bible with us a little bit. Some of you may be first-time viewers, so let me explain very quickly what we do here. We answer viewers' questions. We want people to know their Bible, and we found a good way to do that is just let people tell us what they want to know about the Bible. Uh, maybe something you've always wondered, or maybe something you heard this week, or maybe something in your life that you wonder, what's the Bible have to say about that? We'll try to find you an answer. The way you give us your questions is either on the phone or on the website. Both those numbers are on the screen. Use them anytime to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. And then we each week cover as many of them as we can and go as fast as we can. Today we've got some about uh, one about the rapture and one about getting to heaven and uh, one about women apostles. I think Toby's going to answer here in just a moment. And let me introduce Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And we'll get to your first question as soon as we give our viewers their first question. Uh, Joseph had a lot of brothers, but most of them were half-brothers. He only had one full brother. See if you know his name, and we'll give you the answer to that little bit of Bible trivia at the end of the program. See if you know about Joseph's full brother. All right, you got a question about women apostles. Yes, I do. And the question is, where does it show that women were apostles in the Bible? Well, you'll look a long time before you find uh, women apostles in the Bible. Now, uh, if you've researched this topic, and if it's a hobby horse of yours, uh, you may be asking about a reference, in, a sort of an obscure reference in Romans chapter 16, verse 7. Uh, this isn't on your screen, but you can look it up at home. And there it mentions <clears throat> uh, someone by the name of uh, Junia, or Junius, and it says they were outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. And uh, there's a lot of debate about who this person was. This is the only reference uh, and a lot of scholars tend to think that was a, a feminine name, the Greek word and so forth. But um, the real truth is we don't know. Uh, the way you read it, it could be uh, interpreted, most likely was interpreted as outstanding among, uh, this person was outstanding among the apostles, not saying, identifying uh, him or her as, a, as an apostle necessarily, but saying, this person was of noteworthy, like all the apostles understood who this person was, their great faith in Christ, their great example, and they were just outstanding as known, known well by all of the apostles, I think, is what he's trying to say. But uh, when you think about the original uh, 12 apostles, all of those that were called by Jesus directly uh, were men, and uh, that's the what we know for sure, and that's not an obscure verse. That's mentioned several times in the Gospel accounts. Let's look at Matthew chapter 
10, verses 2 through 4. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So those are the, the twelve. Of course, we know that later uh, Judas had to be replaced in early on in the book of Acts, and they, they did so. And then, of course, Paul was a very unique apostle, called, of course, by the Lord himself. So those are the apostles, and they were all male. All righty. I imagine as you read that verse, some of our viewers were humming a little tune in their head. Mm-hmm. Those, those yep. are a lot of easier to remember when you remember that old song about Mm -hmm. Peter, Andrew, James, and John and all the rest of them. So (laughs) all of a sudden I heard that tune in my head. (laughs) All right, I got a rapture question here. Viewer wants to know, do you believe in the rapture? And where in the Bible does it tell us there will be a rapture? Uh, The second part of the question is a lot more important than the first one. Where in the Bible does it talk about a rapture, whether I believe in it or not? doesn't matter a whole lot. Uh, what's the Bible say? And uh, my summary answer on that, uh, which I'll explain in a moment, is I believe in a rapture, but not the rapture. Now let me explain that. Uh, the, the word rapture itself is not in the Bible. Uh, it's not there. The concept is there. The word means caught up, uh, transported, if you will, uh, caught up somehow. And that word or that concept is in the Bible, a catching up or a rising to meet Jesus. The Bible does talk about that, and we'll look at that verse in just a moment. Um, so, so when I say a rapture, yeah, the Bible does talk about some people being caught up, uh, but when I say the rapture, I realize that in the world today, and it's fairly modern concept for a couple thousand years, people didn't uh, think about this, but Lately, there's been a, a premillennial teaching that uh, kind of epitomized in the Left Behind series and the Left Behind movies and all of that, uh, where there's this very structured process of things that uh, Jesus is going to rapture uh, the righteous off the earth and the unrighteous are going to be left and have years of tribulation and then come back and on and on. And those of you that either read the books or watch the movie or go to a lot of churches that teach uh, that kind of the rapture uh, are familiar with that. Well, the problem is that's not in the Bible. Uh, It is a doctrine made up of a whole lot of verses from mainly from Daniel and from Revelation, which are highly prophetic books and kind of mixed and matched to come up with this theory. Now, I admit it's interesting, and it's a very interesting reading, but the Left Behind series is fiction. Uh, doesn't all the verses come out of the Bible, but the whole process isn't in there. Uh, the main problem with it is the Bible just says that Jesus is going to come back, and that's going to be it. And that's when the rapture or the catching up is going to happen. And we're going to read a verse from Thessalonians here in just a moment. But before we read it, let's understand what was happening there. Christians were dying, and the Christians in Thessalonica and also in Corinth and other places were wondering, what's going to happen? I thought Jesus was going to come back and get us, and he hadn't come back yet, and these people are dead. And so... 
Paul wrote them and told them they didn't need to worry about that, uh, that people's bodies were in the grave, but they'd be resurrected someday when Jesus came back and their spirits were already with God. So let's read 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. And here's what he said. He said, the dead in, the Christ, dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up. There's that concept, raptured, up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So what he told them was, don't worry about them being buried uh, because he's going to take them first. They're going up and then uh, we're going to come right after them. After that, we are here still alive, and our left will be caught up with them. Now, that's not a separated by seven years or a thousand years or anything else. It's the day of the Lord. Uh, and what he was just telling them was, you don't need to worry about them. They're going to come back to life first, and then we're going to watch them rise from the grave, and then if we're still alive, we'll be caught up. We'll be raptured. Uh, so, yes, there's the concept of a rapture in the Bible, but not the whole doctrine of the rapture uh, that's going to leave cars driverless and all that that people talk about. So hopefully that helps you understand rapture. Okay, good answer. Luke <laughs> chapter 3 verse 16 is something uh, kind of confuses the viewer. And they ask in Luke 3.16 where it talks about Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, what is the fire? Okay, well, as we always try to do when we get a question about a specific verse, we want to look at it together. We'll do that now on the screen, Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. John answered them, <clears throat> John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Well, um, there's different types of baptism, as you know, may know from watching or listening to this program or studying your Bible at length. There's, of course, uh, water baptism, uh, which is how one gets into Christ. Uh, that was what Peter commanded on the day of Pentecost. Uh, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, then there's the Holy Spirit baptism, which was a, a unique event that was experienced by the apostles to show that they had the approval of God and the authority uh, to do those things. And that, with along with the, that special gift, was the ability to, to do different things that were necessary. Uh, work miracles, uh, speak in tongues, um, th those seem to be things that came upon early believers in the early church uh, but seem to have uh, faded away, if you will, with time. And then there's the baptism with fire that is referenced here. And I think if you look at verse 17 of Luke chapter 10, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3, it, it to me speaks very clearly that the fire is uh, his judgment that there was going to be a day when he separates the wheat from the chaff and he gathers the wheat into his barn and the chaff he burns with unquenchable fire. Uh, this is uh, uh, reiterated uh, all throughout the New Testament, this idea of a fiery judgment. Uh, it was a picture, really. And if we think about 
uh, fire um, in in the use of uh, purifying things and if you if you heat up metal you can burn out the impurities and that's uh, just a, a word picture I think fits pretty well with the idea of the baptism <coughs> of fire being judgment so uh, John baptized with water for repentance and that was leading up to Jesus and of course Jesus taught water baptism for the forgiveness of sins um, but the judgment of fire awaits uh, any who are not in Christ uh, who are not ready for the final day. So I think that's the interpretation of it. And uh, Luke chapter 3 <coughs> verse 17 uh, clarifies verse 16 a little bit better. I hope that helps. Alrighty, thank you. Let's take just a moment to talk about a good way to study the Bible. And we've got some free materials that we're happy to share with you. We've got uh, all kinds of courses that we'll let you study for absolutely free. And uh, we all start people with this one that you see on the screen. It's a real basic introductory course. It's got eight lessons in it. And it's a good way to get familiar with your Bible. Uh, we know a lot of our viewers are hardcore Bible students and study all the time and have their own methods, and that's good. You just keep right on. But uh, if you're one of our viewers that's thinking, I'd like to know more about my Bible, but it's kind of confusing and I don't know where to get started, uh, this is a good way to get started. You sit down with the first lesson, which is about the Old Testament, and then the second lesson is about the New Testament. And after two lessons, you understand the two big parts of your Bible and uh, who wrote them and when and what they're about. And then you go on to the other lessons and you learn a little bit more about the Bible each time. And when you complete that course, we'll give you a handsome certificate that tells you you did something good. And then you can go on to other advanced courses. So great way to study the Bible if you want to know your Bible a little bit better. Uh, just call that number or log on to that website and tell us you'd like that free course. We'll get it started for you. All right, a question about how to get to heaven, I guess. Viewer wants to know, can people go to heaven without being baptized? Well, uh, let me answer it this way. Can people go to heaven without being baptized? Uh, for me to say no would be telling God what he can or can't do. And God can do anything he wants. Uh, he can take anybody to heaven that he wants, and that's fine with me. Uh, in fact, we can all dream up imaginary, hypothetical ideas. Well, what if somebody believes and confesses, and, and they're on their way to be baptized, and lightning strikes them, or a truck runs over them? Are you telling me they can't go to heaven? Well, we can all dream those kind of things up, and I'm going to let... If one of those happens, I'm going to let God take care of it. He'll be fine. But a hypothetical and imaginary situation doesn't change Bible teaching. Uh, so what we do on this program is not sit around and wring our hands about what God can or can't do. Uh, what we do is teach the Bible. And the Bible said, Jesus himself said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So, sounds like it's pretty necessary there. And that's what we teach on this program. Now, let me take that question and change it just a little bit. A viewer wants to know, can somebody get to heaven without being baptized? Well, let me ask you, can a person get to heaven without believing? Well, of course not, most people say. Can a person get to heaven without repenting? Well, no, it says you've got to repent. Can a person get to heaven without confessing the Lord as the Lord? Well, no, that, the Bible says that. 
Okay, see, we understand all that, uh, but the Bible says we need to be baptized too, and when we get to that, for some reason, people want to say, well, well, let's make an exception here. Let me change the question one more time and let you think about this. Uh, can a person go to heaven without being in Christ? Now, you may not want to answer that immediately, but after you think about it or after you read the Bible, you'll find out that's the only people going to heaven are the people in Christ. Jesus himself said, there's no other way to get to heaven but through me. Okay? Now, I realize there are some people, kind of universalists, that say he's going to save everybody no matter what they believe or whether they ever heard of Christ or anything else, but we're talking about Bible here, not people's theories. Uh, Jesus said he was the only way to heaven. So you'll, I think every Christian watching will agree with me. You have to be in Christ to get to heaven. All right, so my last question is, you show me how to get in Christ without being baptized. And I don't think you can. Other than that's all the Bible says. Over and over it says we get in Christ when we're baptized. Let me just show you two verses and then we'll let you think about all of this. Let's look at two verses, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 uh, in the English Standard Version. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And the New Living Translation says it this way, or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. Okay, uh, That's what the Bible teaches over and over again. How do you get in Christ? How are you joined with him? Well, it happens in baptism. Okay, So going back and rephrasing that question a little bit, I think answers itself. Uh, and we like to teach what the Bible teaches here. So, uh, yeah, baptism is necessary. All right. Toby. That's not just your answer. That's the Scripture's answer. It's pretty clear that's on it. That's what we work on here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Someone once uh, poses this question. Some of my friends drink. <clears throat> Is it wrong for me to have, uh, have them over for games and try to have a good influence on them and still be a good Christian? Well, I... You ask, is it wrong for me to want to have them over? And and I think, you know, I can understand your heart and your desire for friendship and companionship and, of course, the desire to be a good influence on them. Uh, however, the Bible does warn us about the danger of bad influences and bad friendships. It seems to me that it's much easier for the bad to pull down the good and for the good to pull up the bad. Now, of course, Jesus did say that you are the salt of the earth, that you are the light of the world. And both of those give us this picture that we influence. We uh, <clears throat> change the environment around us. We bring good where there's evil. We bring light where there's darkness. We bring hope where there's not. And so those are our truisms, and we should do that and, and ought to be about going about that, uh, the business of being salt and light. But we also need to be careful and need to pay attention uh, that, uh, and the Scripture warns us over and over again, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Paul says, or Paul wrote, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So uh, can you do it here and there and be a good influence and be known as the person who 
who doesn't do those things, you can, uh, but there's always a danger there of being corrupted uh, by the bad character. So it's very important. Proverbs says that the walk, if you walk with the wise, you become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. We know that's true. Sometimes a good person is just with a bad crowd of people and is guilty by association. Uh, may not have necessarily done anything wrong, but because they're associated with these uh, bad contemporaries and bad influences, it makes other people assume that that's the way they are. And so we have to wait, think not only about um, them influencing us, but also our own influence and example on the world around us. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, if you're a Christ follower, and people see you with this crowd of people, and again, I don't know who they are, so you just have to think carefully about your example and your influence and the unintended message you might be sending to other people. Uh, I guarantee you when you're a, a person of the salt and the light, there's someone always watching. Yeah, you, I guarantee you don't even know. But um, So we have to associate with the light more than the darkness and do our best influence as we can without being corrupted by the darkness. Let's look at First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 through 8. Paul writes, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of the for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So pay attention to your witness and, and always walk in the light as much as you can. Alrighty, thank you, Toby. We got a ghostly question here. If there are no such things as ghosts, where did the term Holy Ghost come from? Uh, well, we have answered questions about are there ghosts and meaning dead spirits that haunt people and travel around the earth and all that? And we say, no, I don't think so. Uh, but this viewer says, well, if there aren't ghosts, what's a Holy Ghost? Okay, the trick is uh, we've changed the way we use the word ghost. Uh, in 1611, when the King James Version was translated, it says all the way through it, the Holy Ghost. Uh, that's because back then people thought of a ghost as a spirit, an invisible being, which is what spirit means. It comes from the word pneuma, which means air, which means invisible, you can't see it. And that's all they thought about it. Uh, so Holy Ghost meant a Holy Spirit that we couldn't see. Uh, since then, we've turned the word ghost into like Casper and Halloween creepy ghosts and evil kind of ghosts and haunting ghosts and all that. So to kind of distance the Holy Ghost from that, uh, Holy Spirit sounds a whole lot better. So it's just the way we use the word ghost. Uh, to, to most people, a ghost means something completely different than an invisible spirit. Uh, so yes, the Holy Ghost is the Holy Spirit, and that's just a better way to talk about it these days, I guess. All right, let me take a moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ. And today, let me highlight some of the folks up in South Dakota. Uh, we've been broadcasting up there for a few years from Sioux Falls and met a lot of folks up there and a lot of friends in that area. And uh, there's congregations of the Lord's Church that uh, help us stay on the air in Mitchell, South Dakota, and Watertown, and Brookings. Uh, as well as the Sioux Falls congregation. But uh, if you live in one of those towns or close to them, 
Uh, you've got some folks there that are helping keep us on the air and providing the program for us, so uh, for you. So we thank them and uh, invite you to visit them sometime. Maybe you know a member of the Church of Christ in one of those towns. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible and uh, appreciate them being on, helping us stay on the air. All right, Toby, we got uh, went from the Holy Ghost to Satan here. One end of the spectrum to the other. <laughs> if you want to know, do you have any scriptures? Give uh, do the scriptures give any information on who Satan is? Well, kind of. If you're asking, how did he start? Where did he come from and originate and all of that? Not as much, um, but there are script, many scriptures that des describe who he is and, and what he does and how he works against us and so forth. Uh, you can jot these down. There are several scriptures. Matthew chapter 13, verse 39, Jesus referred to him as our enemy. John chapter 8, verse 44, says he's the father of lies and a murderer. John 12, 31 says he's the prince of this world. He, he is in charge of the, the system of this world. First uh, uh, Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 calls him a ferocious lion seeking prey, seeking someone to devour. Re Revelation 9, verse 11 says he's an evil fallen angel. And Revelation 12, verses 9 and 10 uh, says he's our accuser and that ancient serpent. So he's in there from the beginning to the end. We don't have the whole picture of him, but we do are, are, can be very clear that he is absolutely our enemy and he is, stands very much against us. Now, some people worry a lot about that. And if you pay attention to all the scriptures, you understand not only is the devil real, but he's very mean and he's very relentless in trying to steal from God that's which God has redeemed. So we have to pay attention. We have to know he's there. But let us not lose hope and not become overcome with fear and dread over our enemy because we have one who's greater than the enemy. This is what we're promised in Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 38 and following, uh, where Paul wrote, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor the angels nor rulers nor the things present nor things to come <clears throat> nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as go on to say, he is, we are more than conquerors through him, and we need not be afraid. But yes, he's real, and there's quite a few descriptors. All righty, thank you. Got a question about the apostles and their marital status. Were the apostles married? And I'll say at least one of them, and probably more. Uh, but we don't have any proof except for one. Uh, Peter had a mother-in-law. You can read that in Matthew 8:14. So we know Peter was married. And then the big verse is 1 Corinthians 9:5. Uh, Paul's defending his right to have a wife. He didn't have one, but he said he had the right to. And his argument is like Peter and the other apostles. So. Peter and at least some of the other apostles had wives, so some of them were married, but Paul wasn't. It's the only one we know for sure wasn't. All right, we're glad you've been with us today, and I hope you come back next week to study the Bible with us some more. We always want to cover our trivia questions, see if you know the answer to that. And today we had one about Joseph and his full brother. And Joseph had 12 brothers, but only one of them was from the same mother, and that was Benjamin. And Benjamin and Joseph were sons of Rachel. And all the rest of them were half-brothers. And if you remember, that was a pretty dysfunctional family <laughs> with all those groups of different half-brothers by different mothers. And things didn't work out too well there. But, well, they did work out in the end. But uh, it was a tough upbringing for poor <laughs> Joseph. 
All right. We're thankful you've been here, and we hope that uh, if you haven't signed up for that correspondence course yet, decided to study the Bible with us, today would be a good day to do that. Log on and get it started, and we'll uh, study the Bible with you. Hope you come back next week for more of our questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.